0: right let's worship him the hand of the Lord has chosen to touch this service tonight thank you Jesus thank you Lord Jesus amen as you continue to stand we're going to go into the word of the Lord to the gospel of John chapter number 10 Gospel of John, chapter number 10. Amen. Thankful for the presence of the Lord. Excited about what God is doing. Amen. I believe we're somewhere in the realm of 12 of the last 13 weeks that we've had someone baptized and or filled with the Holy Ghost seeing God work, amen, and we're thankful for that, and uh, praying and believing God. You know, summer, summer is difficult because there's so many things that can take our focus. There's so many things happening. Um, families have their kids and ball and all kinds of stuff, and I'm not against any of that. It's just very important that while we do all that, that we maintain a spiritual focus as well. And uh, and I know that you are and you will, and uh, I'm going to continue my series on the mission of Bethlehem Church, and uh, I'll probably finish tonight. I say probably because uh, because I don't know for sure, probably. And uh, but but we're going to take a a slight variation because. There's a reason, you know, there's a, there's a great book out. And the book is titled Start With Why. Start With Why. And, and the point of the book, I've got it in my office somewhere among, among all the books. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons that book was written is because if we understand why we do what we do, then it makes more sense. It's, it make, has more value to us. And so that's why we've been talking about the mission of the church and why we do what we do, what our purpose is, why we have the cultural, uh, the the church culture and paradigm that we do. And uh, the Gospel of John, chapter number 10 and verse number 10, it it would seem strange to talk about the mission of Bethlehem Church and then have a lesson on the mission of Satan. Satan but I'm going to tell you the reason that we have a mission is because the devil's got a mission. And the Bible says that Satan has come down with great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. And that word wrath in the original Greek means passion. The devil has great passion because he knows he has a short time. He's working extra hard because he knows he's running out of time. And we must rise to the occasion. We can't let the devil outpassion us in this end time. Can I get an amen? amen? And so I'm going to talk for a while about the mission of Satan. John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly two totally different missions for two totally different kingdoms the thief comes not but for to steal to kill and to destroy when the devil shows up he's got a mission in mind amen lord i pray god help me to preach and teach your word help it to find good ground help us to grow tonight in knowledge and understanding, to be better soldiers in your army, better equipped to do your work. God, I pray that you would touch not only those who are gathered here in the sanctuary, but God, those who are in our online audience tonight. God, those in our children's classes, those in our growth classes, those in our youth classes, as well as joining our youth service online. God, I pray, Lord, speak by the Holy Ghost and do your work in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. We have spent much time discussing the mission of the church, but we also have an enemy on a mission. And that enemy, we call him Satan. One of my favorite authors when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare, is a gentleman by the name of Ed Stetzer. He said, and I quote, the Bible is a book about war. The war that began in a beautiful garden concludes in a bloody battlefield in Revelation. Who will emerge victorious is not at stake. Who will emerge victorious is not at stake. We know God's gonna win. That's already been settled. The stakes are the souls of men. I'm quoting still. The stakes are the souls of men, women, and children of every tribe, tongue, and nation. The tactics or methods of Satan are to cause as much confusion as possible in the minds of believers and unbelievers alike. Jesus said, and we read it as our text in the Gospel of John Chapter number 10 and verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I would argue that that, those three different methods that the enemy uses, stealing, killing, and destroying, are actually a process that the Bible is teaching us about how the devil works. The word steal there actually is a word that means to filch. To filch means to steal small things. It's petty theft, pilfering. To to filch something is to take something small. It's something that, that generally has little value. However, when you take a lot of things that seem to have little value, the value adds up. And so the thief comes to steal, to filch, to pilfer, to take small things. And once he's taken enough small things out of somebody's life, then the next goal the enemy has is to kill. That means to slaughter or to destroy, to to take life, to slaughter. And so from the idea of stealing, Stealing, to killing, to destroying. The word destroy means to put out of the way entirely, to put to an end, to render useless, to give over to eternal misery in hell, to be lost, to be ruined, to be destroyed. And so you find the process that when somebody is full of the Holy Ghost and strong in their walk with God, the enemy can't just immediately destroy them so he starts a process and the process begins with stealing what seems like little things out of their lives to maybe take a prayer today and a worship tomorrow a church service next week in light to take get you to trade a church service for a favorite uh, activity or hobby that you would rather do for that. And he'll steal that, and then maybe he'll take something else. He'll take a little bit of your passion, a little bit of your joy, a little bit of your peace. And by the time he takes enough little pieces of things out of your life, the goal of stealing those quote-unquote small things is to hopefully kill your passion and walk with God. And once he kills that, the end goal is to destroy you, to have you eternally destroyed in a lake of fire. And so you find that there is a process to the way that the devil attacks people. I've said it often over the years that people never backslide overnight. It might look like it. They may learn how to act at church like they're on fire for God and everything's all right. And then out out of the blue, they're gone forever. But that's not how it works. Before somebody backslides publicly, they normally have backslidden privately long before. And it started with this process of killing, of stealing small things, a little bit here and a little bit there. None of us would give up all of our prayer life In one, If the devil came to you and said, let me have all your prayer life, not one of us with any sense would say, okay, here it is. But what he'll do is he'll steal it one prayer at a time. None of us, if the devil came and said, okay, quit going to church forever for the rest of your life, none of us would say, okay, great idea. So what he does is he steals one service at a time. I would suggest he would be even happy to steal just one portion of a service at a time. It's the process of filching, of pilfering, taking small things, leading hopefully to killing, and that killing with the end goal of eternal destruction, and that is the process. The date was April the 8th of 2004. Our National Security Advisor at the time, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, she made statements to the 9-11 Commission at the Hart Senate Office Building In our nation's capital and she included the following remarks in her opening statement I quote the terrorist threat to our nation did not emerge on September 11th of 2001 long before that day radical freedom hating terrorists declared war on America and on the civilized world the attack on the marine barracks in Lebanon in 1983 The hijacking of the Achille Lauro in 1985. The rise of Al-Qaeda and the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993. The attacks on American installations in Saudi Arabia in 1995 and 96. And the East Africa Embassy bombings of 98. The attack on the USS Cole in 2000. These and other atrocities were part of a sustained systematic campaign to spread devastation and chaos and to murder innocent Americans. Dr. Rice continued by making this striking statement, and I quote, the terrorists were at war with us, but we were not yet at war with them. For more than 20 years, the terrorist threat gathered and America's response across several administrations of both parties was insufficient, end quote. Her statement, the terrorists were at war with us, but we were not yet at war with them, is a statement that I have thought about dozens of times over the years. My brothers and sisters, Whether we realize it or not, we are engaged in the war of the ages. We are not the only ones with the mission. Satan has a mission too. And he has been at war with us even if we are not at war with him. Many would be tempted to think that as long as I stay in my corner and I don't make too much spiritual noise... If I don't worship too much, if I don't pray too much, if I don't get too involved, maybe the devil will ignore me and I won't have to fight like I might have to fight if I were doing and giving more of myself. But my brothers and sisters, you don't have to be at war with the devil for the devil to be at war with you. The book of Zechariah chapter number 3 and verse number 1 The prophet of God says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The prophet is seeing a vision of the man of God, the priest, standing in front of an angel of God. And then he notices while he's seeing this vision of the man of God standing before the angel of the Lord, he notices that Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. The word resist means to be an adversary, to oppose the enemy. While the angel, while the man of God is before the angel of the Lord to get direction, to get a word from God, to get, to get re- renewed or restored, while the man of God is trying to get what he needs in the presence of the Lord, the devil standing right there at his right hand to be his adversary, to resist him, to oppose him. May I tell you that every time that we come before God, we have to understand that the devil's standing there too. Amen. The enemy of your soul is trying to hinder what you get from God. Amen. When you lift your hands to worship God, you can rest assured that an emissary from the kingdom of darkness is trying to hinder you from getting what you need in the presence of the Lord. When you bow down to pray. When you sit in the presence of the preaching of God's word, just understand that there is an enemy that wants to resist what God is trying to do in your life. The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 18, Paul told the young preacher Timothy, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. He said, Timothy, you've been prophesied to. You have had prophecies according to the prophecies which went before upon thee. Can I, can I, can I attack a statement that I think probably all of us or most all of us have said at one time or another? Can I, can I do that? And, and I've said it myself, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to get offended at myself. If you try not to get offended at me, too. But the phrase, if it's God's will, it will happen, is an absolute lie. Don't ever say that again. I've said it before. I'm planning on never saying it again except to say that I'm not going to say it. If it's God's will, it will happen is a lie. God's not willing that any should perish, but hell has to enlarge herself without measure. The truth of the matter is Timothy Paul told Timothy there are prophecies which went before on you. Men of God have spoken prophecies about your life Timothy and what God wants to do with your life and how God wants to bless you. And the reason that they gave you that word was that by them you would war a good warfare. So that you would know you've got something to fight for. You've got something to fight the devil for that you've got something, that you're in a war, Timothy, because of all the prophecies that's gone forth on you, you're going to have to fight the devil to make those prophecies come true. Amen. I get excited when we have men of God come by and they prophesy revival over our church and the blessings of God over our church people. But every prophecy that is ever spoken over your life, your family, your ministry, and your church is a call to war on behalf of, of the Spirit of God. When God says, God's going to bless this church with revival, that's our indicator, that's our call to war by God, that there's a revival if we're willing to pray for it and fight for it and reach for it. Amen. When somebody lays hands on you and prays the blessings of God over your life, that is your indicator. God wants to bless me, but I'm going to have to fight hell for it. The man of God in Zechariah was standing before the angel of the Lord, and he saw that Satan was right there with him. Amen. Timothy, there's prophecies that's gone forth on your life. You've had the word of God spoken over you. And by them, you got to fight. you got a war, a good warfare. He goes on in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, that thou endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's going to be some difficulties, and you've got to endure them. There's gonna be some disappointments and you gotta endure them. There's gonna be some wars and some battles and some struggles, but you've gotta endure hardness as a good soldier. Why would we be soldiers if we weren't in a fight? Right? Common sense, right? The, one of the least common things in America in 2021 common sense. As a good soldier, you're gonna, Timothy, You're in a war. you got to fight this war. You're in a battle. you, You have a promise from God on your life. You've got prophecies that have gone forth on you. But that doesn't mean that you won't ever have hard times and that you're not going to have to fight like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Wayne Hillsden said, quote, God wouldn't have recruited us to serve in his army if there wasn't a war to win. God wouldn't have recruited us to serve in his army if there wasn't a war to win. Now, I, I, I'm, I, I'll tell you this, that sometimes ministry is a difficult job, and that's not just pastoral ministry, that's just, that's just ministry in general. It's impossible, it's impossible to, to always make everybody happy, it's just, it just is, it's just life, it doesn't matter what you do, in, in what field you're in. And... This is a good time for me to, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this because there's a portion of scripture I want to bring a point out of. And it's a good time for me to talk about this because as far as I know, we don't have any, any uh, issues at this time with unity or rebellion against leadership or any of that. Thank God for that. And, uh, and, and I would knock on wood, but that, I'm, it's bad luck to be superstitious. Sometimes ministry is difficult when someone is, is uh, stirring discord and offended at leadership or working against the direction that we try to go. That's, it's, and again, as far as I know, that's not a current issue, praise the Lord. But Paul had a time when there was an issue with him and some member or members of the church, and it bothered him deeply. And, and see, when you work a secular job, you just clock out, and you don't worry about it again until the next day. Uh, my, dad, my dad worked thir- 35 years, I think, at Chrysler, and he would clock in, and then when his shift was over, he clocked out, and he didn't care if the grass got mowed, if a water line busted wasn't his problem, if uh, you know if the electricity went out and the machines got powered down. He slept just the same. It's not the way it is when you're in ministry. The, 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 the burden of the ministry never goes away. You're never off the clock. And so Paul carried the burdens of division with him, but he had decided not to bring him to the pulpit. 2 Corinthians 2 and 1, but I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. I'm not going to bring it all to you again. I'm, not gonna tell, I, I'm, I'm just going to deal with it. Outside of the pulpit, I'm gonna deal with it in 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 other ways through prayer, through fasting, through seeking God. And and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring it. I'm not gonna to come to you again in heaviness. I'm not gonna to come to the pulpit always depressed and discouraged and down because something's going on. That's what he's saying. I'm not I'm not gonna to come to you. I determined with myself. I told myself, I'm not I'm just not gonna bring that depression to the pulpit. I'm not gonna bring it to the people. And then he takes it a step further in verse 5. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. He said, Somebody caused grief. And if I'm not careful, I'll overcharge you all. I'll take it out on you. Take it out on the ones that didn't do it. Y'all got quiet. That's what he said. He said I it, they they cause grief. They they've only grieved me in part. They've only they've only hurt me a little bit, but but I got to be careful not to overcharge you all. I don't need I don't need to come on Wednesday night and yell at you about the ones that miss Wednesday night church. That's what the online broadcast is for. Don't yell at the ones that are here about for the ones that aren't. Can you say the ones that are here say praise the Lord? He said, I, I don't want to overcharge you all. I don't want to take it out on you. And so he, he goes on to say, I'm, I'm not going to hold a grudge. If somebody's hurt somebody in the church, if you forgave them, I'm going to forgive him. I'm not going to hold a grudge on your behalf. If you've told them it's okay, then I'm going to let it go too. Paul was speaking of offense that happens within the body of Christ discord, trouble. Very real. He was very real and very open. And here's the reason why he dealt with it openly. And he told him, he said, we're going to have to learn how to get through some of this stuff. Second Corinthians 2 and 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. He said, he, he said look, we've got to understand that, that the devil would love to get you all mad at them. And you all mad at them. And you all upset at them. He said, because he, if he can do that, then he gets an advantage over us. He gets an advantage in the battle. It's like, it's like trying to fight a battle against somebody, and we got one hand tied behind our back, and he's got both hands going. He said, you, you got to be careful about those kinds of things getting started in families, and church families, because it gives the devil an advantage. And, and he said, we got to, have you ever, have you ever, gotten into an argument with your spouse or somebody and you knew when it was starting that, I, I see already I'm, all, I'm in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and you knew when it was starting it was, it was not going to be good. It was a no-win situation. I saw one hand go up. They, the, the spouse was looking the other way so he, they snuck it up. <laughs> it's like an auction where you blink and And, you know, you don't want anybody else to see your bidding, but that's what that was like. I I saw that all over the place. I got silent amen. I got more silent amens in that moment than I've ever gotten anywhere. I preached to 60,000 people in Ethiopia one time. I got more amens just then than I got that whole sermon probably. (laughs) He said, we're not ignorant. We know it's happening. But sometimes just because we know it's happening, we don't stop it. Right? I'll tell you, and and my wife's in here, so I'm probably going to get in trouble. I was talking with Brother Luke St. Clair. The worst argument that we ever had in our marriage was the night of Luke St. Clair's high school graduation. We had a, you remember? She she remembers. (laughs) Don't you have something back there to go work on for a minute? (laughs) Somebody back there needs counsel. I think the one that needs counsel's up here right now. We had a family in a, that was coming to our church that had bought a house, and they, they were having a lot of really strange spiritual things happening. And what they found out was in one of the rooms of that house, somebody had committed suicide, and uh, they, they, they felt like there was this, uh, like, a heavy spiritual. Um, Sister Wilson's going out to intercede for me so I can get through this story without <laughs> getting myself in trouble. Pray, church, pray. So they asked us to come to that house and to pray. And so we went in the house and we prayed and we, 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 we prayed that they would find peace. It was tormenting them. And, uh, and, and they had already bought the house before they knew about it. And so it was just tormenting them. And uh, so we went to pray. And uh, when we got done, we were going to leave from that house and go to Brother Luke's high school graduation and, uh, and so he, uh, we, we got in the car, and before we pulled out of the driveway, we had the biggest argument we've ever had in our lives. And the whole time, I, I really don't know what started, I don't know what you did. <laughs> But, the, but, but you could, we, could, we knew the snowball was rolling, and we knew, we knew, but we, we had the right to remain silent but not the ability. And, and to make a long story short, I went to his graduation by myself. But that whole time that was going, you know, that, that was his highest, he's what, 40-something now? He was 17, so that tells you how long ago, it's been a while been a while, thank the Lord. But, uh, but, but we had, you know, it's like we knew what was going on, and we knew we should just stop, but we didn't. And Paul said, look, there's going to be times you're going to get offended. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems. There's going to be times when everything's just not smooth. He said, but you've got to be careful not to let, let the devil use that to his advantage, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not, we're not ignorant of how he works. We know how he works. And so we've got to be careful because the devil is on a mission to try to hurt people, to damage. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. And so 1 Peter 5 and 8, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on here be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour you got to be sober you got to be you got to be you got to be aware you got to be vigilant you got to be watchful you you can't you, you know you got to be serious that word sober means you got to be serious you got to you got to be serious when it comes to spiritual warfare you can laugh and cut up when at certain times but there's but, but, but there's times you just got to be sober. You got to be serious about it. And you got to be vigilant. You got to be watchful. You got to be careful. Because you got an adversary. You got an enemy. There is an adversary, the devil. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The enemy wants to devour you. That word devour means to completely consume, to eat up. It's like eating with, not, without even leaving crumbs anywhere. The, the enemy doesn't want to just take part of your, your joy and then let you have the rest of your walk with God. He want, doesn't want to just take a little bit of your, your prayer and then let you have joy and peace over there. He wants to devour you. It's steal, kill, destroy. It's an advancing process that he wants to use to destroy your life, your soul. And so Peter says, you got to be sober. you got to You've got to take this seriously. You've got to take spiritual warfare seriously. You've got to take the battle at hand seriously. You've got to to understand that that playing with the devil, you don't play with the devil. It's 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 not a joke. It's not a game. Amen. Thank God we've got joy and peace, and we don't have to fear the devil, but we do have to take it serious. Be sober. Be vigilant because you've got an adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour paul engaged in a battle with quote unquote beasts at ephesus for the purpose of making the rapture of the church 1 corinthians 15:32 if after the manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus what advantage it, it me you 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 caught. I struggle with that word, right? Advantages. Uh, it me if what advantage it me if the dead rise not. Let us eat drink, for tomorrow we die. He said, if there's no resurrection, what what's the use of fighting? If there's no resurrection, why why even bother? Why bother living? The reason that we've got to win this war is because there's a rapture coming. There's a resurrection coming. Amen. There's a heaven to gain. We're in a spiritual battle for the existence of our soul. Amen. I want to go to heaven for eternity. I don't want to be lost. And he said, if there's no resurrection, then there's no advantage to fight. But because there is a resurrection, I have fought with beasts. I've been in a, he said, as the matter, as he said, after the manner of men, he said, it's like I've been in a war. I've been in a boxing match. I've been in a fight with beasts at Ephesus. I have had to fight. For my soul i've had to fight to be able to be ready for that resurrection he says in first corinthians 16 8 9 i will tarry at ephesus until pentecost for great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries i think these two verses go well together he said i fought with beasts at ephesus and he said there's a great open door. We have an opportunity to have a great revival in Ephesus. Boy, we've got a chance to really change this. We've got a chance to have a great move of the Holy Ghost in Ephesus. He said, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost comes. Amen. I I, I I worked on a message years ago, and I don't think I ever preached it, about this verse tearing at Ephesus until Pentecost. You know, Pentecost Sunday is, uh, is this weekend. It's this coming Sunday. And Brother Corey Porterfield, pastor from Walnuts, preaching Sunday night. We're going to have a great day Sunday. He said, I'm going to stay here until Ephesus. I'm not leaving until we have Pentecost. Until Pentecost comes, I'm staying right here. And I think sometimes that we are too quick to leave our Ephesus before Pentecost gets here. Amen. I don't want to pray until I feel better. I want to pray until I have a Pentecost. I want to just worship till I get a little bit better attitude. I want to worship till I have a Pentecost, a Holy Ghost breakthrough. He said, I'm staying at Ephesus until Pentecost comes because there's a great and effectual door. We have have an opportunity to do something great for God, and there are many adversaries. The enemy will not let you have Pentecost without a fight. Matthew 17, 14 and 15. And when they were come to the multitude, they came. To him, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water." The word "lunatic" is it—it it, uh, it actually means moonstruck. Uh, it had the connotation of being out of his mind, perhaps. They, 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 they think that perhaps it meant an epileptic seizure, that he would fall into a seizure and fall into the fire or fall into the water. And, and so there's some, some, there, there's some variance in interpretation. But nonetheless, we have this man who has a son that is desperately in need of Jesus Christ to touch him. The Bible said they were come when they were come to the multitude. There was a multitude, but there was only one man that got God's attention. You can have a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get the attention of the Lord. But this one man got the attention of Jesus. He knelt down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. And notice this next phrase in verse number 16. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. I brought him, Lord, now Jesus, I, I didn't bother you with this first. I tried. I bothered them first, and they, they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't help him. They could not cure him. And so now what do I do? And Jesus, look at verse 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now, now let, let me ask you a question. When he said, O faithless and perverse generation, who was he talking to? Was he rebuking this father? He wasn't rebuking the father, was he? The father had enough faith to go to the disciples. And then when they couldn't do it, he had enough faith to go to Jesus. He didn't give up. So the, he wasn't talking about the father of the lunatic boy. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? So is, who's he, talk, is he talking to the rest of the world here? He's not with the rest of the world. He's with the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. We want the cuddly Jesus, don't we? The one in the in the comic, the the, the the Sunday school comic books, you know, with every hair in place and smiling and kissing all the babies. We don't want the Jesus that gets mad at the disciples and said, "You faithless and perverse generation." How how long do I how long am I going to be with them? How long will I suffer you? Bring him here. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. It's almost like Jesus is rolling his eyes frustrated at his disciples. That word perverse, we think of it in in the, the sexual terms of our society because we have a perverse society. But but the original Greek word here means to distort or to misinterpret. He said, you you distort and misinterpret what I'm telling you. They're not morally corrupt. They were the disciples. They were following Jesus. They weren't morally corrupt, but they had distorted and misinterpreted what he had given them. How long do I have to suffer you? How, how long? You can sense his frustration, can't you? Can you? Can you feel his frustration? I mean, year after year, we've talked about this stuff, and here we are still now. And and, 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 and we still had not got this down pat. The devil was not who Jesus was frustrated with. The dad wasn't who Jesus was frustrated with. The boy was not who Jesus was frustrated with. It was the disciples, that they were not yet at the level of ministry they should have been at yet. He said, He said, where's your faith? And so he rebukes them, then he casts the devil out of the boy, and the boy's healed, and the family goes home, and they're happy. And and the multitude's amazed at Jesus, and they go home, and they're talking about how awesome Jesus is. The dad and little boy and mama go home talking about how awesome Jesus is. And the disciples are sitting there, and they're all mad, and their little feelings are hurt because Jesus got on to them. And, And then when the crowd goes away, and everybody's, and everybody's gone. Then they come with their head down, and the disciples, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart, no one else around. They don't want to be embarrassed, and said, why could we not cast him out? What, was the, what, what did we do wrong? We, try, we, we said the words like you say them, we did the hand motions like you do. I mean, we, did, we, we quoted the words you said. What was missing? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. He so said, you, you didn't have faith. You didn't really believe. You said the words, but you didn't really believe they were going to work. You quoted the scripture, but you didn't really believe it was going to happen. He said, "Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. You got the public part of the ministry right. You said the right words, but you didn't prepare yourself in private for the battle that you're going to have to fight. You see, you can't just show up on church day. And start casting out devils, and expect it all to happen. You can't just walk up to the to the addict or the possessed person, and then start screaming and hollering. I I have a friend. He's an he was an evangelist years ago, and uh, he was preaching at a church in Southern Indiana, and uh, and there was somebody that was deeply involved in witchcraft that went to the the revival, and uh, actually it was a group of people that, that they they thought they, they and they may have been they thought they were in a coven of witches and. And this girl, she came down to pray, and, and the pastor of the church, he just put it, he he just went and she started shaking her and had his hand on her head and, and started shaking her and, and she come up and she slugged him. And uh, and then the the, the uh, evangelist he calmed it down and cast the devil out of her and the pastor said what was going on? The, the point was he didn't prepare himself for that battle. There's some battles you only win by prayer and fasting. And so when you come find yourself coming against something and you say all the right words, repeat all the right phrases and nothing happens, you can't just deal with things in public. You have to prepare yourself for the battle. And some things only change by prayer and fasting. When you're dealing with this kind, that's what Jesus said, this kind. When you're dealing with some kind of a, a demonic force that has people bound, you can't just, you can't just shout it out of them. You can't, just, you, know, you can't just get the oil and put a cross on their forehead with the oil and go and send. Sometimes you have to prepare yourself. And if we're going to really see more people come and be delivered, we're going to have to get really connected in prayer and fasting to break bands off of people's lives. Amen. Can you say praise the Lord? Let me go a few more minutes here. Ed Stetzer, again, I quote him, he said, They learned, quote, they learned that one size did not fit all in their confrontations with darkness. Faith in God gives a disciple authority to confront because he knows he does not fight Satan in his own strength. Satan doesn't have to tempt us to embrace sinful living that would destroy our weakness. All he has to do is divert our focus. To win the battle, we must value advancement of God's kingdom over our own agenda. Matthew 4 and 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The word devil comes from the Greek word. It's diabolos, which means to oppose. So when when they use the term devil for Satan... What, what they're saying is he's the opposer, he's the adversary, he's the one trying to stop what you're doing. You're trying to do this and he's opposing you. It means he's your opposition, he's your enemy, he's your adversary. And so the term devil literally means to oppose, or that's why they said your adversary, your opposer, the devil Walketh about, seeking whom may devour. He said that the Greek word diabolos means to oppose. It's one of 22 different names used to describe Satan in the Bible. And it's used 35 times in the New Testament. The devil is the opposition to the mission of God. He struggles against it. He fights against it. He's he's always opposing well, why can't, why, is not, why can't we just have an easy revival? Because we have an adversary, we have an opposer, we have a devil. And so his mission is clear. I'm, I'm quoting Stetzer again. His mission is clear. Keep lost people lost. Keep lost people lost. And so Jesus was led by the Spirit, and the devil, the opposer, came. Anytime you're led by the Spirit, you can expect the devil to try to stop what God's trying to lead you to do. If if the Spirit of God leads you to go witness to somebody that needs God in their life, you can expect the devil to oppose that leading of the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit, and the devil, the opposer, came to him. So don't be surprised. Don't say, well, God, it must not have been you because I've had to fight the devil ever since I decided to try to do this. The fact that you're fighting the devil is the exact reason why you ought to just keep doing what you're doing. Amen. Because he's the opposer. That's his job. That's what he does. And so Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. That word, and and Lord, I should have got to this verse earlier. Uh, The word wilderness there means lonesome. It means desolate or solitary. Jesus was led to a lonesome, desolate, solitary place. May I tell you that when you find yourself feeling lonely and you don't know why, it could be that you're going into a place of spiritual growth. Most growth doesn't happen in front of crowds. Most growth happens in lonely places. I'm going to wait for y'all to quit shouting before I continue. That's not the happiest word we ever heard in our life, is it? But it is to the people that have been feeling that way and you've been wondering why. You're still hanging around the same folks, you're laughing, you you. It, it, but, but inside, you feel disconnected. Jesus was led by the Spirit to a lonesome place. God often saves our best growth for our loneliest places in life. I wish it wasn't that way. But I can take you to the worst times in my life when I felt the most alone, the most isolated. And then on the heels of almost every one of those I've seen the greatest moves of God. So he was led by the Spirit to a lonesome place. When we get to that place, when we get in those conditions, we think it's the devil that took us there. The devil didn't take you there. He just met you there. Sometimes it's the Spirit that takes you there. Because otherwise there's too much noise and too much stuff and too much distraction And we can't really hear God because we're so busy with the crowd. And so God leads us by the Spirit to a lonesome place. And when the devil sees the leading of the Spirit taking someone to a lonesome place, he knows they're getting ready to whoop me. And so i got to stop. And so the devil comes. And the devil went specifically to stop what God was getting ready to do. John wrote, 1 John 5, 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. It, that verse seems almost out of place in the notes, don't it? It doesn't seem to fit, but I've got a reason for having it there. He, he, the, the, the apostle lovingly referred to them as little children. He was showing his relationship with them, how much he loved them. And then he said, Keep yourselves from idols. Why would he feel compelled to write that to a Holy Ghost-filled church. Why would he write that to a, a, a group of Holy Ghost-filled? I mean, it's an epistle to saved people. Why is he writing to save people, keep yourself from idols? That's, that's Christianity 101. I mean, that's basic stuff. I mean, why, why, should you, it's, why should you have to tell them that again? Of all things, why did you go back and tell them that? I mean, they're supposed to know better by now, right? Y'all still with me? Because it's a common trait of humanity to have idols in our lives. You say, well, I don't have any idols in my life. Hobbies can become idols. Work can become an idol. Sports can become an idol. Food can become an idol. Okay, I took it one step too far. You know what I'm saying, don't you? And so we've been warned, don't let things become idols in your life. I love you, little children. I love you. Man, I love you. That's what John was telling to the, the, the John Johnine churches. I love you all. Keep yourself from idols. And then he said, amen. So be it. Settle. We're not having this discussion again. We're not gonna, I don't want to hear your excuses about why that's good to do. If it becomes an idol, keep away from it. No debate, no retort, no answer, the conversation over. If you have things in your life that have become an idol that are distracting you from your walk with God, then you have the responsibility to keep yourself from that. Second Corinthians 3. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God. He said, we, we, we've got no reason to think we're awesome. Anything we do, God did it. That's what that verse means. Verse 6: who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. He, he made us able ministers. He, I mean, that I mean, who I, I can almost see Paul, who wrote this who knew that just was not that long ago he's on a mission to kill Christians. He's having them thrown in prison. He, he's, he said, here, let me hold your coat while you go stone that guy and kill him. Why are we going to kill him? Because he's a Christian. I mean, that's, and it wasn't that long ago. And he says, he made me an able, of all people, he made me an able, I, I have no business doing anything for God, but God made me an able minister. He helped me do it. Verse 7, but if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, he's talking about the law, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, he called it the ministration of death. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Do I got five more minutes of attention? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The ministration of death. That's what he called the law. Why did he call it the ministration of death? Commit adultery, okay, let's kill them. There was all these, these laws of death. Do this, okay, let's kill them. Hey, they did this wrong, okay, let's kill them. I mean, every time you turn around, they're trying to kill people. He called it the ministration of death, but then he said it was glorious. Glorious. Why was it glorious? Because it taught us to love God and fear God and serve God. And it gave us boundaries for life. And it told us, it, it, it gave us guidelines, uh, guidelines on how we can offer sacrifice and get mercy and come before the presence of God. And he said it, it was the ministration of death. But, boy, it was glorious because it taught us how to enter relationship with God. He said it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses he so said, when Moses was holding it in his arms, he, his, the, the light on was so bright, we couldn't even look at him. We had to turn our face. We had to cover his head with a veil because the glory of God was so strong, we couldn't even look at him. That's how glorious the ministration of death was. Verse 8, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? He said, boy, if the law that gave death penalties was that awesome, just imagine how awesome it is when people when we get to tell people about the Holy Ghost. Whew. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? He 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 says he says man if 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 the Holy Ghost shone on Moses so much for the law, how much more should the glory of God shine through us that have the Holy Ghost? How much more should, we see, should people see the glory of God in the church when we have the Holy Ghost? Amen. He had t- he, he, so he's talking about the ministration of the Spirit. We have the ministration of the Spirit. He takes, that a point, he takes that point a little further, 2 Corinthians 4 and 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. He said, we have this ministry, and here's here's how we got it. We got it because we received mercy. And when I received mercy, it gave me the responsibility to minister mercy. Hallelujah. God forgave me. I don't have the right to hold a grudge against you. He ministered mercy to me. I got to minister mercy to you. I have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not. He said, don't get tired. Don't get tired of giving mercy to people. Don't get tired of working for God. Don't get tired of doing something for God. He takes it just a little bit of a step further, two verses later, 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. He said, don't faint. Don't get tired. Because if you get tired, let me me go back and read verse verse number one. We have this ministry. We have received mercy. We faint not. If our gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. He said, don't get tired of working for God, because if you get tired, lost people are going to stay lost. Don't get tired of worshiping God. Don't get tired of telling people about the Holy Ghost. Don't get tired about showing the love of God. Don't get tired reaching for people. He said, because if we faint, if our gospel's hid, it's hid to lost people. We can't afford to get tired. Why are we talking about the mission of the church and the mission of Satan together? Because the more the devil works, the more it calls on us to work. We can't faint because if we do, the gospel's hid to lost people. The very next verse, verse 4, I'm coming to an end here. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Satan, the devil, the opposer, the adversary, the God of this world has blinded their minds. And so we can not faint. We must stay on mission because the devil's on mission. Can't be weary and well-doing because the devil's on mission. We can't get tired. We can't quit. We can't slow down. We can't stop. We have to keep pushing. 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 Wonder why I keep pushing the church? Because we got to keep pushing. We can't faint. The gospel's hid. It's hid to lost people. We're responsible. And so because the devil's on mission, we got to stay on mission. Now, I know I've been going a while and. Uh, And and the ones in the back, you know, you know I'm not anywhere near finished. I got a long list. Sister Kim looked up. She knows. They get back there, and they have that long list, and they're like, oh, we're either here a long time or there's no way he's getting done. I'll just tell you there's no way I'm getting done. That's just the way it is right now. But I'll tell you, we have to be on mission because the devil's on mission. Lord, I thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor of serving in your kingdom thank you god for helping us to receive grace because of that you've given us this ministry this mission this purpose help us god to be a church on mission help us lord jesus not to become an entertainment capital for christians that we come to hear our favorite songs and our favorite our favorite testimonies, and, our, and enjoy our favorite people and just turn it into a fellowship source. But God, help us to realize that we are here indeed on a mission. We cannot faint. We've got a mission because the devil's got a mission. we got to be on point because the devil's not giving up and he's not quitting. And so God, help us to be fully committed to the mission of the church To make disciples and to reach people. Help us, God, to be focused on our duty as the church in this hour. God, help us, Lord Jesus, to be on mission in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.